This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Hello and welcome to this mini episode of Big Mood, Little Mood. I am your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Rebecca Carroll, the author of several books about race in America. And now here we are reading a letter from a listener. The subject of this letter is former daddy's girl. I'm struggling to reconcile my father's history of abuse with the person he is now and the relationship he expects us to have. My pain and anger towards him are taking up a really outsized proportion of my brain, and it only seems to get bigger. When I was 11, my father became very emotionally abusive. When I was around 18, he changed his target to my younger sister and my mother. I moved across the country at 22 because his abuse made our home unlivable. Six months later, my parents divorced. Four years later, my mom and sister live together in another state, while work has taken me back to my hometown, where my dad lives with his new partner. I need advice on coming to terms with my dad as a real living person and not the ogre from my memory. He remembers that decade as difficult for his mental health and seems to acknowledge his behavior, but only insofar as it was unhealthy for him. He's never acknowledged his abuse and has gotten morose and acts martyred when I try to raise it with him in the past. I have been back in my hometown for two years, and our relationship is fairly close now. I love him, and I don't want to cut him off, but I just feel frozen by rage and indignation and pain that he wants to behave like it never happened. Mm, 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 mm. I think it is so interesting that the letter writer in the very first sentence talked about the person their father is now. Mm -hmm. I want to leave a lot of room for the very real possibility that people can significantly change over the course of a lifetime. I think it can be a useful way of thinking about change. And yet, I don't see that here in this letter. What I see the person he is now doing is sort of splitting the bad dad from the good dad as if they are two different people and you're afraid of punishing this new good guy for the misdeeds of some other vanished dad. Um, I I, I don't think that difference is doing you much good, letter writer. I think it's actually just there to put a lot of pressure on you. You know, we have language for this, which which is not to say we can't create new language for this, but it's selective memory on the part of this father. And in terms of the idea of people changing, fundamentally changing, I think that, in fact, is the wrong language when the right language is, you know, what you want to see in somebody is an evolution. And so an evolution requires that that person look at all of the behavior, right, to evolve out of that behavior. So you can't actually evolve unless you acknowledge the past behavior, Um, And so letter writer, I would say, you know, you need to decide what, if you can live with a relationship with a person who has not evolved, right? Clearly you have, which is why you feel rage, which is why you feel, you know, like unsettled because you have seen clearly what, and you remain affected by that very real trauma. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. You know, it's clear that the letter writer wants to acknowledge the fact that her father is no longer 
actively emotionally abusive in the way that he was when she was a child, which, okay, you know, that's not nothing. But it's also, I I don't know if irrelevant is too strong of a word here, but as I say it, it doesn't feel too strong. It's a little bit irrelevant. It's nice. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just, it's not what's, it's not what matters. It's not what you need. So no, he no longer does whatever he did, whether that was like screaming at you or belittling you or, you know, uh, whatever other kinds of emotional abuse he sent your way as a child or to your sibling or to your mother. He no longer does those things. That's good. He's not causing the same harm. That's also good, but it's good without being anywhere near enough if he won't acknowledge the fact that he did used to do those things all the time, and if he won't acknowledge that he hurt you, and if he won't acknowledge that it was wrong, then at best what you're talking about is like a sort of um, you know side pocket universe um, where everything sort of rests on never acknowledging the real past. Which is unsustainable. I mean, that's unsustainable. So letter writer says, I love him. He's not doing these things now, but I'm filled with rage. That is unsustainable. That will not serve you. And it will only make, you know, it will only ramp up more the way in which you then begin to judge more harshly your father But I think also it's really important that as adults, you know, even with our our parents, whatever form they take, you have to think about what the relationship looks like, right? Like what you want, what you can live with. But in doing that, I encourage you to look at your other friendships, your other relationships, and what is valuable to you and what is important to you in those friendships. Are they mutually respectful? Are they people with whom you can have honest conversations, people who are not defensive when you call them accountable. And so look to the relationships that have been sustainable as sort of help in in going forward with this relationship with your father. Yeah, I I mean, I think what I see here so much is we're fairly close now and I don't want to cut him off. I can appreciate Mm. that letter writer. I can appreciate... In some ways, it must have just felt radiantly good to reconnect with your father and not get abused. I, I really understand why that feels deeply valuable to you. But I also think that after two years, you're, you're hitting the ceiling of how much of that you can actually handle. There is a ceiling to that um, because it does not address the real wounds that he caused. So I mostly want, I think, to invite you to be very imaginative and think about what you can handle, what you can't handle, what you want, what you don't want. Um, I, I don't want to say you must, you know, cut him off tomorrow. I, I, I want you to think a, a lot about what you do think that you can live with. But I think, I don't know how you've tried to raise the question of his abuse in the past, but I do think the fact that his reaction has been to get morose and martyred is pretty telling. Um, mm, I think mm-hmm. that's a pretty strong indicator that he has not actually made the transformation you wish he had made. He's mostly just no longer in a position of power. So I I wonder if it's actually even true that he no longer treats anyone that way, or if it's simply that he doesn't have the same day-to-day control and surveillance over people that he used to have over his children because he no longer has children living in his house. So I know that can sound scary, but it's like maybe he just doesn't have the opportunity anymore. Maybe he would do it again. It feels, letter writer, like you're giving your father a lot of grace here and that it's really okay for you to for you to want the same 
measure of grace. And also, you know, I mean, with our parents, it's like you talked about it or, or referenced it in, in the beginning. It's like these the conventional, you know, way is to revere and be grateful and so on and so forth. But these are grown-ass people. Your parents are grown-ass adults who have lived a certain period of time, who have taken in and absorbed the world and the culture, hopefully, around them. And so they have, they have that information that they need to be decent and to be fair and to be compassionate. Yeah. You know, letter writer, you say you need advice on coming to terms with your father as a real living person. I do not see in this letter that the problem is that you have failed to take into account your father's personhood. In fact, it seems like you've been extremely flexible, accommodating, understanding. You have, it seems like, rushed to give him the benefit of the doubt wherever possible and go easy on him wherever he has displayed a tendency to become maudlin um, or self-pitying. So I, I do not agree that your problem is that you don't come to terms with your father as a real person and that you too often mistake him for the ogre that he used to be. I think the problem is that he wants you to live in an insane sub-reality where you both just pretend he never abused you. And so it's perfectly normal. And I say the word insane here, you know, on purpose. You know, he wants you to live in an insane set of circumstances where you're close and you talk about movies and your day and whatever else, and you both pretend he didn't abuse you when you were a child. Of course you are suffering. That is designed to make you feel insane because it is an insane request. Um, and so the reason that you feel paralyzed or frozen by rage and indignation is because that is what this situation is designed to do. And I don't mean that he's doing that consciously thinking, oh, I really hope I can upset her so much that she snaps, simply that what he is asking of you is not conducive to health or sanity. So what do you do with that information uh, is a really good question. Um, I think you have reached a point where you have realized either we need to acknowledge it or we cannot continue this closeness. If this closeness really depends on my pretending it didn't happen, I've reached my, my limit. And so then the question is just, how do you think you can most safely convey that request to him? Maybe it's going to be in writing. Maybe it's going to be uh, asking him to see a, th- I don't, actually, I wouldn't, I would not invite him to therapy just yet. Yeah, he has I not displayed either. enough yeah, um, maybe it's seeing a therapist on your own and getting guidance on how you would formulate this letter. But basically, what you want to say to your father is, I love you. I would like to have a relationship with you. I cannot do that if we need to keep pretending that you never abused me as a child. And that's what I need. And I would do it I would do it in the form of communication that works best, that has been the most successful. So if you're in email contact or if you're in text contact or if you have phone calls or, you know, weekly Zooms or whatever it is, use the, use the tool of communication that has been most successful and clarifying for you. Mm-hmm. And per- perhaps one that would minimize I- immediately seeing or hearing his reaction. Because sure. if historically his reaction has been to start crying or getting really down on himself, you need a little space from that particular manipulative tactic. And I think to just stress, I am not saying this because I want you to hate yourself. I am not saying this because I want to eternally punish you. I am saying this because it is real and it happened and it matters. And I need to know that you can acknowledge it uh, and, and attempt to make amends. Um, that is a request that he is capable of handling. Like he was a big man when you were 11, you know, he was big enough to emotionally abuse a child. He's big enough now to deal with the fact that he did that, you know? I think also, I mean, I would push back a little on the tool where you 
see his response because the the alternative is writing an email and then waiting, having him hold True. your emotions hostage. And that is maybe worse than just seeing his immediate reaction because if you see his immediate reaction, you're probably going to know right quick how it's going to go. Hmm. That's a really good point. Maybe then in that case, you just plan for the day that you're going to do it and you have a trusted friend or something in place set up for if things get too fraught in the moment and you need to just say like, I, I need to go, that you have someone you can turn to who can yep. kind of guide you back to, to grounded, sane principles. Yep. And that's it. I'm sorry. It's always difficult when you realize that something you've experienced as closeness is predicated on your pretending you haven't been hurt. That's really hard. But, you know... Don't mistake closeness for proximity or stifling, I think is my overall point there. And whew. Thanks for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up, to subscribe, or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you get a minute. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice and conversations and interview questions with our guests. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $1 for your first month. If you need some little advice or big advice and you'd like me to read your letter on the show, head to slate.com slash mood to find our big mood, little mood listener question form or find a link in the description of the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. Listener.